How is everybody? I'm just going to say I am so... I am mixed feelings of... I'm extremely humbled yet extremely excited to be here. Um, I know that I've known Phil and Julie as very good friends for well over 10 years. Maybe even 15. But um, they've been a tremendous blessing to my, uh, my wife Tammy and I. This is my beautiful wife, Tammy. My, my first wife and my only wife. I don't have any others, only one. But um, yeah, I just uh, guess the Lord has, um, has me here for a reason. And the thing for me is that it's not a message that I have to tell you. It's more I'm speaking out of my own journey. And this journey God has actually birthed in me since, uh, well, since the 15th of January last year. I had, it was that, that day, I was in my backyard and I was just praying and seeking God as I did as a usual daily routine. I thought, yeah, Lord, thank you. Bless my, bless my wife, bless my kids. Hallelujah. Bless my business. And then out of nowhere, out of the blue, God says crystal clear. He says, I want you to go to Israel. And um, I was kind of, I was, I was stunned. I was taken aback. And to be honest with you, I was left reeling, thinking, what? Israel? And to be honest with you, Israel was the furthest thing I would ever possibly would have come to mind. I was focused on just um, my business, focused with my family and just getting everything happening. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, God says, I want you to go to Israel. And so, okay, Lord, (laughs) there's a few things that are going to have to happen for that to happen. I said, Lord, if you want me to go, um, you have to confirm it and make it crystal clear to my wife. And believe me, when I walked in and told my wife, Tammy was like, eyes wide of saucers, like a possum caught in the headlights. So Tammy was like, okay, well, if it's God, he'll confirm it. Thank you. Thank you. And sure enough, um, it was that act very day I was on my computer and God led me to go to this Bible teacher's website. Now I was a very big fan of this particular Bible teacher many years ago, but for some reason I, I, I was led to go to the Bible teacher's website. Anyway, his name is David Pawson. He is an excellent Bible teacher, excellent teacher of the word. I went to his, I clicked on recent teachings and there was two messages why go to Israel part one? Why go to Israel part two? I'm thinking, okay. Download, download. Listening to those messages, for me, was the match in the, in the gas tank. That, for me, really lit the fire that is still burning in me today. And... Um, not only that, but there was many other signs. I remember I was actually even uh, watching TV, on the, watching a show on the Christian channel. 
And um, as I was, I was watching this program, and all of a sudden they started talking about Israel. And going to Israel, I'm thinking, oh, what's, what's going on here? And then the woman turned to the camera, looked at the camera, and she said, and maybe you too should go to Israel. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit gave me a little bit of a zap. <laughs> and then uh, in my personal Bible study, Psalm 48 would continue, continually resurface. And Psalm 48 says, go to Jerusalem, examine her walls, count her towers, examine her ramparts. And uh, I'm thinking, and, but the most important bit was at the end, so you may tell the next generation. And, um, and God <laughs> really made it crystal clear. I said, okay, God, if, this is, if you want me to do this, that's fine, but you're going to have to provide. <laughs> Going to Israel costs a lot of money. And, um, and sure enough, I was looking for different tours and things like that. I tried to go with one from the UK, but it fell through. I tried to go through with another different one, didn't fell through. I found another one, and it caught my eye straight away. And this particular tour actually coincided with the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, Sukkot. So I thought, wow, I've got to do that. Because the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the other names for the feast is the Feast of Nations. It's one of the feasts in which the whole, all nations are invited to come in and to participate. So I thought, I've got to do it. I made a few phone calls, sent a few emails, and everything fell into place. I said, all right, Lord, the only thing that needs to fall in place is the money. But sure enough, my business landed a project um, with $60,000. And I was able to get paid one-third of that up front. So, if God wants to do it, He'll make a way. If it's His will, it's His bill. He'll make a way for it. So, why? What is the whole purpose? I got there, and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm here. And uh, it was an incredibly eye-opening thing for me. I mean, for starters, the Bible came to life. I was walking in the very places where the prophets walked, where Jesus walked, where miracles happened. You know, one of the amazing things about Israel is that it's the only country in the world where future events will take place. And you can be in places where future events will take place. One of the, no other country in the world but Israel. While I was there, the sites and the places were, were good, but the thing that really hit my heart was the people. The Jewish people. Hang on, it's all good. The Jewish people. And the fact that uh, the church has been tricked into thinking that, you know, we're all. Um, uh, the Jews don't, don't, aren't, that, aren't special to God anymore. We're all, all special to God. Now let me just clarify one thing. The scriptures does say that we are one in Messiah, that we are one in Christ. And the Bible says that there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, and that is correct in regard to salvation. Paul had that context in regard to our vertical relationship with God. He makes that clear. But nationally speaking, 
is completely different. Israel is God's chosen nation. And we have to understand that. And uh, one of the things that, that, um, that breaks my heart is that um, there is a lot of uh, false teaching in the church called replacement theology. It's also called supersessionism, which basically says that um, the church has replaced Israel. Okay, that is not the case. The church has not replaced Israel. Now, let me say this. God has two people. He has his chosen people, the people of Israel as a nation, but he also has us as the church in which Jew and Gentile are all one. The Jews have the unique position where they are citizen are a citizen of Israel, but can also be a citizen of the church. They have that dual citizenship, which is a fascinating thing about that. Now, one of the things that struck me when I was there was um, was I could see God's favor everywhere, how God was blessing the nation. You know, even when you look on a satellite map of Israel, you can see the areas where the Jews are populated, where it's green and lush, and where the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and all the other places are just dry. Wherever God's people is, they flourish. And this is all ratified by the prophets. The prophets even said that this would happen. And, um, and I said, Lord, but... If you love this people so much, if you love this land so much, why doesn't why why don't I hear the church? The church in Australia is silent on Israel. I don't I don't hear anything. It's almost as if the church is um, it's either through ignorance, apathy, indifference. For the most part, the church is completely unaware. In fact, the church is in a slumber in regards to this. And especially with what we're seeing in our very midst around the world today, God is saying something to the church. And the church needs to wake up. I said, God, why don't... Why don't other Christians and why don't other... um, churches just love Israel as much as you do. You know, it's, it's really, it's a no-brainer. I remember when I was first dating Tammy. Not a, I'm not a big fan of little dogs. But Tammy loved this little dog called Ellie. And Ellie didn't like me that much. And I was kind of like, you know, hun, if you love Ellie, I love Ellie. You, you remember when you were dating, you know, you... you um, He's like, what, what's that, hun? You love Anne of Green Gables? You know, hun, that is my favourite movie. <laughs> what's that? What's that? You, you, you love origami. Origami, you know what? I am awesome at origami. I'm a black belt in origami. I'm, what's that? Origami is folding paper? Oh, okay. But, you know, it's the same thing with with God. 
What's that God? You love Israel. You know what, God? I love Israel. I love your people. And uh, this is something that God wants to say very crystal clear. Listen to what he says about Israel. Jeremiah 31.3. You might put that up on the screen as well. He says this. He says, I, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And Zechariah 2.8. And this is the most important one. For this is what the Lord Almighty says after he has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you, touches the apple of his eye. Now, apple of his eye. This is an ancient Jewish term. If you get an apple and you cut it in half and you look at it from the bottom, it actually is a, it looks a perfect uh, resemblance of your iris and your pupil. The apple of his eye. Do you know that that is the most sensitive part of the human body? And that's why we have our eyelashes there to protect us. And they, our eyelashes respond in a millisecond to protect it from dust and, 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 and dirt. But you know what? When people touch Israel and they mess with Israel and they harm Israel, they are literally poking God in the eye. That's how much he means to them. Okay, I want to bring up a scripture. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Yep. Okay. This is in the NIV. And these are scriptures where I want to explain to you, you know, replacement theology is gaining more and more of a foothold. It's not as bad as, as it is in Great Britain. In Great Britain, it is absolutely rife. And um, I pray that we can turn the tide here in Australia. But Paul says this, and let me just say this, the church in Rome, Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the church in Rome for the very reason that they were dealing with replacement theology. The church in Rome was saying, see what happened was is that the new Caesar that came drove the Jews out of Rome. And so the Christians were left. And so they said, see that's God's judgment on the Jews. The church has replaced the Jews. So we're the new Israel. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, I speak the truth in, in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Now keep in mind, Paul was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. He says this, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. 
Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who was God over all, forever praised. Now let's go to Romans 11, chapter 1 to 2. By the way, I need to point out this. Remember when Jesus was talking with the woman at the well? And uh, the woman said, um, well, where do we worship? Do we worship here on this mountain, or do we worship in Jerusalem? And and Jesus said, look, you and the, the time will come when you will worship in spirit and in truth. Yep. And then he said, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, a lot of people miss that. But he says, salvation is of the Jews. Now, what does he mean by that? We'll get to that when we read about what God's covenant with Abraham. We'll get to that. Okay, now in Romans 11, 1 to 2. Paul says this, and he's getting to the crux of it. He's grabbing the issue by the throat now. And he says this, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. In fact, Paul uses the strongest negatory Greek word he can find, which is meganoita. He says meganoita, which means perish the thought. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. And again, Paul says in verse 11, he says, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovering? There's that word again, meganoita, not at all, perish the thought. So how do people get this this false teaching into them? And it really comes down to, the fancy word is called hermeneutics, but to explain it better, it's biblical interpretation. It's the method that they use to interpret the Bible. Now, the method that these replacement theologians are using is they're using it with a Greek frame frame of reference. Greek thinking. Greek philosophical thinking. This all came about in the first, um, in about a thousand AD, there were two universities, one in Athens and one south in Egypt in Alexandria. And both of these universities were teaching this new way of interpreting scripture. And, and from then on, and some of the people that were influenced by that were Augustine. Martin Luther was also influenced by this. By the way, I don't know whether you know this, Martin Luther... Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther was anti-Semitic. He had some shocking statements against the Jews, even though he was a great father of our faith in the Reformation. But anyway, let me just say this. The Greek thinking um, says that we should interpret Scripture uh, with a spiritual meaning. That the scripture, when you read scripture, you have to think there's a, it's an allegory. It's a spiritual allegory with a hidden, hidden meaning behind it. And let me give you an example. You know, I heard of one of these particular guys who interprets the book of Song of Solomon. Now, you can really take to Song of Solomon with great license if you're going to be interpreting it allegorically. But anyway, this particular guy said with the scripture where it said, my lover nestles between my breasts. 
And this guy, this scholar says, well, he says, he says, <laughs> the left breast represents the Old Testament and the right breast represents the New Testament. That's how crazy it can get. I think, how could I ever possibly think like that? I think, forgive me. I... Get the thought out of my head. If I'm like that, I'm in the, in the apocrypha. But this is what they're talking about. There's a hidden allegorical spiritual meaning behind everything. So when it comes to Israel, it said, oh, no, it's not Israel. It's, when you see Israel, it's talking about the church, the church, you know. One flock, we're under one flock. Yeah, but Jesus also said, I have other sheep, which is referring to us. Yeah. Now, basically that gives you a bit of an idea about the the correct way of interpretation of Scripture is Hebrew interpretation. It's reading and interpreting the Scriptures from a Jewish frame of reference. It's understanding the Bible. Now, let me just say this. All of the authors of the, of the Bible, except for one, Luke, were all Jewish. All of them were Jewish. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, but they got all their source, all the material, all from Jews. So even though the New Testament is written in Greek, the philosophy, the mindset, the ideology behind it all is still all Hebrew. So we need to interpret scripture from a Jewish frame of reference. Okay, moving on. Understanding this is critical for the church to grow into maturity and critical for us Christians to understand the signs of the times that we're in. Okay, So to understand the nation of Israel, my goodness, time is getting on. (laughs) I'm going to skip a few bits. But let's quickly get Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 7 up. Okay. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. How are all peoples on the earth blessed through you? Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well. He said, the salvation is of the Jews. The people of the earth are blessed through Jesus the Messiah. In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. Messiah. And that's how the nations of the earth are blessed. That's why salvation is of the Jews, because it's through the Jews that we get our Messiah. And Jesus is just as Jewish now as he was back then. Even in the book of Revelation, he says in the book of Revelation, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, Are le'etah Yehudah in Hebrew. The line of the tribe of Judah, which is a very important thing. At the very end, in the future, he still identifies himself with the Jewish people. So, okay, let's uh, move on down to Genesis 15. Quickly, quickly, quickly. And let's go to... uh, mm -mm -mm. 
from verse 1, let's go from verse 1. Actually, no, let's go further down where it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord. If you can find that. He also said to him, I am the Lord. Here we go. He said, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. By the way, Ur of the Chaldeans was a fairly, in, in terms of history, it was fairly well-to-do area. It was actually quite modern. It actually even had, for the technology that they had back then, their own central, centralized heating systems. Incredible. So you can understand, when Abraham left that, he left the, he left the luxury to go and live in a tent in a place he's never even heard of. So it was a big deal. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He's talking about the land. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, interestingly, all of these different animals are the exact same animals that God mentions in the book of Leviticus for sacrifice in the tabernacle. Okay, so Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, as you do when you're chasing around birds. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. By the way, when I was in Israel, I was at Machpelah in Hebron. And I was actually right in front of the crypt where Abraham was. That was a pretty awesome thing. And uh, I also was at the crypt of um, Itzhak or Isaac and also at Yerkov, which is Hebrew for Jacob. I was at each of the, at the patriarchs and it was an incredible feeling. Incredible feeling. And to get there, I had to catch an armoured bus because it was in the West Bank an armoured bus, bulletproof glass that thick, and I had IDF soldiers around me with M16s and grenade launchers. It was... <laughs> I thought I was going to war, but it was just a day trip to Hebron. So, he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot... Now, this is where the covenant is confirmed. A smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give you this land. From the river of Egypt, which includes the Sinai Peninsula, to the great river the Euphrates which includes much of Jordan and even into Syria. Um, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, Vegemites, Marmalites. And as you know, God changed Abraham's name from Abraham 
sorry, from Abraham to Abraham. Then came the promise of the son and two great tests. There's two great tests Abraham had to go through. The first great test was waiting for the promise. And he had to go through years to wait for that promise. And as you know, the second great test was when he finally gets the promise, God says, okay, I want you to put it on the altar. That sounds strangely familiar for us as Christians, doesn't it? So, that's what happened. Isaac grows up, marries Rebekah, and the time comes uh, for him to pass on the blessing to the eldest son. Jacob deceives his father and receives it instead of his brother. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Remember, there's two components to this. There is the, there is the birthright and the blessing. There's two things happening here. Jacob deceives his brother. Remember, well, not deceives him, but Jacob gets his brother to sell him his birthright. Remember? The pot of stew. So now Jacob has the birthright. Now when the time comes for the blessing, Jacob goes, well, really, I need to get this because I already have the birthright. And so his mum, he conspires with his mum and he ends up deceiving his father. And he gets both the birthright as well as the blessing. Anyway, moving on. Jacob's name means deceiver, supplanter. But it wasn't going to stay that way. The time come, and moving ahead in the story, Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Now, here's another thing that you might not realize, which is blows me away. But whenever you see angel of the Lord... You know, you know about this? It's actually referring to Jesus. Okay, you've got to keep that in mind. Now, it's not Jesus as incarnate in the flesh. It's what you will call a... Um, a theopif- I think it's a theopiphany. Yeah, theophany. Theophany, yeah. So, yeah, so basically when you see angel of the Lord, because the angel of the Lord can receive worship, the angel of the Lord can accept sacrifice. Okay, so he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And then afterward, Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then the angel of the Lord changes his name. It says, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and prevailed. Now keep that in mind with Israel as a nation. They have struggled with God and struggled with men. Okay. The nation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now let me just say this as well. God does not just identify himself as the God of Abraham because the Arabs will be able to lay claim to God through Abraham. He doesn't just say that I am the God of Abraham and Isaac because the Edomites will be able to lay claim to God through Abraham and Isaac, remember the Edomites are descended from Esau. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Yerkov. And now, here's the amazing thing. We serve a God that is a triune God, yeah? He is three in one. Now, here's the amazing thing. Abraham is Hebrew for father of many nations. Av is Hebrew for father. Ra is for many or multitudes. And Am is people. Isaac, Isaac, 
we see the perfect picture of the cross when God says, take your son, your only son, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Did you know, a lot of people think that Isaac was this 12-year-old little boy. He wasn't 12. The Hebrew word is na'ah, na'ah, not yelled. Yelled is the Hebrew word for child. Na'ah is the Hebrew word for young man, which, which can mean a man as young as in his early 30s. Now, the story that we have here is not a story where we see a little boy vict- as a victim. We see a submissive son. A submissive son. Not my will, Father. Your will be done. The other amazing thing was the location. The location was on a mountain called Mount Moriah. And I stood at that on top of Mount Moriah and I looked into a cliff face that was, that was the cliff of a skull. Golgotha. Calvary. The other th- amazing thing was just as Abraham was about to sacrifice, the angel of the Lord says, no, stop. And he, Abraham looked up and he saw a ram with its head caught in thorns. A ram with its head caught in thorns. And on that mountain it says, the, um, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. And as Christians, the Lord has provided us a sacrifice. Now, interestingly, in the Hebrew, sorry, not just in the Hebrew, but also in the original text throughout the whole Bible, but God of Isaac by itself is mentioned only seven times. God of Abraham in the original text is mentioned 14 times. Seven plus seven. God of Jacob is mentioned in the Bible, take a wild guess, 21. 21. See, God is a God of order. He's a God of order and he's constantly breathing himself into patterns throughout the Bible. It's amazing. Okay. Now, let's move on. Oh, I forgot to get to the best, next bit. We're looking at Jacob. How has Jacob got anything to do with the role and the work of the Holy Spirit? Through Jacob is birthed the nation of Israel through the 12, his 12 sons. The 12 became the 12 tribes of Israel. Through the Holy Spirit is birthed the church through the 12 apostles. And so God has got this incredible um, pattern where he is aligning himself and that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Incredible. Okay. Now, we see um, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Israel, even though God made the covenant with Abraham, um, way back when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, the nation of Israel itself wasn't born until it was born in, the, in Egypt. You could pretty much look at Egypt as a womb in which 
in which um, Israel was being knitted together. And then the time came and Israel was birthed out of Egypt by Moses. And Moses' name means drawn out. And Moses and the, the nation of Israel was drawn out of Egypt. Now they went on a journey and they went down to... By the way, I don't have time to touch on the feasts surrounding this. Bob will touch on Passover tonight, which is absolutely amazing. But um, the feasts that come into play are incredible revelation. But anyway, the children of Israel made their way down to Mount Sinai. And God there affirms his covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai. Now here's the amazing thing. Do you know that over 40 times God says, I will. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Do you know where we get what I will? In our, most of you have said I will in a certain ceremony. Some say it's the, it's the longest sentence in the English language. It's a life sentence. <laughs> but this is God literally married himself to the Jewish people. He married himself. And do you know what? He would never, ever, ever... Now, you know how disobedient Israel has been. But he would never, ever, ever divorce them. Why? We learn in Malachi that he hates divorce. And so God has always stuck by his bride. And that is what the whole story of Hosea is all about. And if you get a chance to read Hosea, check it out. It'll blow you away. So, let's move the, the history clock forward. Um, so eventually, Israel gets taken into captivity. They're in captivity. And they come out after 70 years. And after 500 years of them being back in the land, their long-awaited Messiah comes, finally. And yet, most of them completely miss it. Let's get up on the screen. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. It says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, let's bring up Luke chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. I need to hurry along. Luke chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus on the Mount of Olives wept over Jerusalem and actually was at the very place where they say that he actually wept. Whether that's true, I don't know. But he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or in Hebrew, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Now in Luke 11, chapter 49 to 51, it says, Jesus says, Because of this, in his wisdom, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of them whom 
They will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, this generation will be responsible for it all. Now, it was only 40 years later in 70 AD that Jesus' prophecy came to pass and Caesar Titus came with his army, his whole Roman army, and they completely destroyed Jerusalem and carried away all of its temple treasuries back to Rome and um, completely, absolutely destroyed it. It wasn't until 135 AD that all of the Jews in the land of Israel were dispersed among the nations. Now, if you read God's promises to Israel, he said that he promised to bless them as well as to curse them. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that God is faithful to Israel. It's out of his faithfulness that he blesses and curses them. So God was faithful to his promise and he dispersed them to all the nations of the earth. Now, I was, when I was in Melbourne, I looked, they actually even had a PowerPoint presentation of the Jews that were still the last Jewish community that was in China. There are Jews everywhere in every different nation of the earth. But anyway, I'll, I'll get on that to a minute because I need to move along. In the modern day Israel, Theodore Herzl, who was the modern father of Zionism, prophesied that the creation of the Jewish state would take place in 50 years. That was in 1898. 50 years later, on June the 14th, 1948, the state of Israel was born. But it wasn't without a smooth run. As you know, there was the Holocaust, which was the darkest darkest period in Israel's history, even including the history in the Bible. The toughest day for me when I was in Israel was when I went to Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is the Israeli National Museum for the Holocaust. And um, I've got to tell you, that day I was emotionally smashed. You might not realise this, but you think of the other genocides around the world, like with Rwanda and what happened in in, uh, in uh, Cambodia, but the Jewish people lost over six million people in the Holocaust. And the hardest part for me was the memorial that was there to the children that were killed. 1.5 million children were callously, heartlessly killed. the darkest period in Israel's history. How could God let that happen? And the Jewish people, um, you know, as Gentiles we say, why them, Lord? Why, why are they chosen? How come we can't be chosen? Why them? And the Jewish people say, Lord, why us? Why are we chosen? Why can't you choose them? But here's this strange paradox. Now I'll say this. God... God blesses the Gentiles through the Jews. 
but God judges the Jews through the Gentiles. Do you understand that? God blesses us Gentiles through the Jews, and we explained that before, but God judges the Jews through the Gentiles. God uses foreign nations to judge Israel. Now, moving quickly along, the Holocaust. One of the positive things that happened was the fact that they... they rejected assimilation, which, was ha- which is what was happening. They were becoming part of the nations. So the Jews began to embrace their Jewish heritage again. The other positive thing was there was worldwide sympathy for Israel. And for the first time in the United Nations General Assembly, both America and the United, uh, Russia, the Soviet Union, both voted together. That is a miracle. They voted together for the creation of the Jewish state. The other great thing that happened is that thousands of Jews made Aliyah. Aliyah is a Hebrew word for going up. Whenever a Jew says they're going back to Israel, they say Aliyah. We're making Aliyah. We're going back to Israel. So let's quickly put up Isaiah 66, 7 to 10. Isaiah 66. Actually, let's... uh, before she goes in the lab, she gives birth. Before the pains are upon her, she delivers her son. Who has ever heard such a thing? Who has ever seen such a thing? Can a nation be born in a day or be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor um, that she gives birth to her children. That is an amazing prophecy. Another one, uh, actually... I might just leave it there because I want to really talk about what's happening at the moment in the world today. One of the other things that you've got to understand about Israel is that God says, I will curse those who curse you. And these are some of the nations that have messed with Israel and they no longer exist. Amalekites, Midianites, Ammonites, Moanites, Philistines, Edomites, the ancient Egyptians, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, Byzantines, Ottoman Empire, Nazi Germany, and even... The British Empire, the empire in which the sun never set. Britain did some shady dealings with Israel. I won't go into it because of time. And over the course of five years, the British Empire in whom the sun never set completely disappeared because of how they dealt with Israel. Now, what we are seeing at the moment, my goodness, the Arab world is in uproar. Let's quickly bring up I'm getting to the end of my message now. Let's bring up, let's bring up Psalm 83. Psalm 83. Okay. It says, O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. It says, See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Does that sound familiar to you with the current situation? Now, the Muslim Brotherhood has said that if they ever get into power or if they get a representative into power, the first thing they will do was un- is annul the peace treaty with Israel. Now, you've got to understand that in the, in the, with Arabs nations, the, the two most stable nations in that, Israel, in that region is Egypt, or was Egypt, 
and Saudi Arabia. And even now we are seeing on the news that there is turmoil happening in Saudi Arabia. So God, the nations are, are, are in uproar. They, they want change and want political change. And the underlying thing throughout this whole thing is the fact that if they ever get a chance, they will wipe Israel out. In fact, in their own words, they say, we will drive Israel into the sea. So we are seeing that right now. The other thing that we've just seen with the earthquake, a massive earthquake, in fact, they say 8.9, but others are even saying that's 9 on the Richter scale, which is the largest that they've ever had in Japan. Now, this is the amazing thing. Scientists have discovered that there is an increasing frequency of earthquakes every year. A lot of them you don't even hear about because they happen in, in areas where there's no populace. But earthquakes are increasing. And Jesus said that this would happen. He said that this will happen. Just, let's quickly shoot up um, Matthew 24, 6 to 8. Matthew 24, 6 to 8. He says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will famines and earthquakes in various places. Now get this next bit. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, we've had three kids. We know all about what birth pains are like. Contractions. To start with, they are fairly a long time apart, but they get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer together. This is exactly what Jesus said to describe what would happen in regard to his, his return. And we are seeing it happen on a global basis. Not just that, but but many other different signs. But here's the scary thing, and I'm going to tie this up, this is the famous preacher saying, I'm going to tie this up right now, and I might have the band up. Thank you. But if the church believes that the church has replaced Israel, then they have no gauge from which that they can tell of the signs of the, of, of the return of Christ. Because Israel is the time clock. It is his time clock. If you want to know how close we are to his return, you look to Israel and you see the signs happening there. Now here's this scary thing. These people that hold the replacement theology, they will have no idea because they're not looking to Israel. Israel doesn't even come into their equations because the church has replaced Israel. We see a parable where Jesus talks about the servant who was not ready when his master returned. And in this parable, the master thinks, ah, it's okay, I'm just going to have fun. Life is good. There's no need to worry. And Jesus said, all of a sudden, his master returned home and the servant was not ready. And I guess my question to you is, are you ready? The signs are everywhere. They are happening. God wants to say something and he wants to say something to your heart. 
Jesus said, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up to me, I will come in and fellowship with him and him with me. And now I believe that we're having communion. I just really want you to think about that. And some of you, you know that you need to make a decision. Some of you, you have put it off and you put it off and you put it off. The time has come and you need to say yes to Jesus. I've come here to talk about Israel, but yes, but really, it's all about Jesus. Because Israel is all about Jesus. Some of you in your heart is beating and you're thinking, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. All I can say to you is that you need to surrender. With some of you, it's been a fight and it may even be pride that may be stopping you from making that decision. Don't leave it and put it off until it is too late. everyone got their emblems wonderful wonderful Jesus actually took his last supper communion what we know of communion is actually taken from a Shabbat meal it's a Jewish meal that they have every Shabbat I actually was part of two of them when I was in Israel and the head of the house would take the bread in this, and in this case it was Jesus, he took the bread and they would say Baruch Hata Adonai Elohinu Melech Ha'olam Hamotzi Lechem Min Ha'aretz which means blessed are you Lord God King of the universe who brings forth the bread of the earth and then they, he would take up the cup of the wine. And the father would do this in his family with his children all sitting there. And in this case, Jesus did it with his disciples. And he would say the same thing. He would say, Baruch Atah, Adonai Elohinu, Melech Ha'olam, Ham. And he would say, Borei Pri Hagafen, which is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, who creates the fruit of the vine and then they would take that and they would eat it. But Jesus put a twist in it. And he said, with this bread, this bread is my body. He said, this is my, in fact, it represents his sinless body. He said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. So let's do that now. Then Jesus took the cup and then he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Throughout the Old Testament, God instituted feasts for Israel to observe, to remember specific events. This time, Jesus did the exact same thing. He established a feast for us to keep, for us to remember. But... And so he took the cup and he said, For this is my blood 
which is shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. Lord, I just want to thank you for these people. I just want to thank you, Lord God, that their hearts are fertile soil. And I just pray, Lord God, that there are the people here that they have, a, if they are longing to make a decision, if they know that today is a day that they need to make their decision, Father, I pray that they will make that decision today. And I commit them into your hands, Lord God. And I thank you for this beautiful people. Phil and Julie, I pray that you bless them and bless this church. In Jesus' name I pray.